So if you thought that was long, um, so back in the day when we're talking about like letters in the New Testament or something that are sent, they were all read in one sitting to the congregation. So for example, like 1 Corinthians is, I think, 16 chapters. So I was crunching the numbers over there, um, and it was, it'd be probably three hours or so reading it. So you're welcome. <laughs> Jeez, my goodness. All right, so um, how well overall were you guys able to understand the story? Yeah, yeah, that's about right. Um, it's so this uh, story. I, I think of it a little bit like a walnut. It's got this really rough exterior, just really hard to crack. But then inside, it's got some really rich stuff. Um, so let's see what we can what we can do to get our heads around it. So this story is set. We've uh, so we've just had the conquest of Canaan. So back up. Uh, so we had the Exodus. You know, let my people go, parting the waters, wandering around the desert for forty years, etc. And then the Israelites came to the land of Canaan, the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And they came in and just devastated the whole as the whole land uh, wiped it out and the people who were there. And now the, the land of Canaan apparently wasn't big enough for everybody because there's, after all, 12 tribes of Israel, and, um, and so the land of Canaan, the holy land, the land of what will be Israel is west of the Jordan, at the Jordan River, and that's the boundary of the holy land, and so it's not quite big enough apparently, so we have two and a half tribes settling to the east of the Jordan as their lot. Don't ask me why it's a half-tribe. It's weird. It's confusing. I don't get it, but just go with it. So we've got two and a half tribes. Yet, even though this east part was already conquered before they went in and took over the land of Israel, the holy land, these two and a half eastern tribes still went and joined those western tribes to take over the land to um, destroy the uh, inhabitants there and take it for themselves as God had commanded them, as the story says. Uh, So this conquest is just wrapping up and everyone's dispersing. They're like, okay, thanks guys for your participation. Now go to your new homes. And so these two and a half eastern tribes head over across the river to their new homeland. However, here's the kicker. Right before crossing the river, that's that boundary, right? Right before crossing the river, while still on the Israel side, they stopped and built a gigantic altar. And then they kept going on their way back to their own home. This was not warmly received at all. We'll talk about it in a minute why that's the case. But for now... We see these Westerners get livid. They are ready to go to war against the Easterners. But before they start the Civil War, they decide to do the smart thing, and and they send a delegation of ten leaders, one from each tribe, and and, uh, that includes that half-tribe, so awkward. Um, And then heading up this Western delegation was this guy named Phineas. Uh, His... He was grandson of Aaron, who was the brother of Moses, and Aaron was this big time, the first big priest in Israel. He was this almost legendary figure. So Phineas is famous. He's this rock star, and he's also this priest, and he is famous for being 
zealous for God as he understood God to be. And so that led people to be stabbed and killed by him because he understood God to need him or want him to do so. So we've got both this incredibly devoted man and at the same time this incredibly violent man who's committed to the worship of the God of Israel and ready to put down any rebellion against God using as much force as necessary to do so. So Phineas the Bruiser leads this pack of Western tribal leaders to go confront these Eastern tribes, to, to confront them about their offense. Let me say a couple things. First of all, A, what is up with that? You just built this thing on our land without even asking our permission. What is up with that? Thank you. Not cool. B, it's an altar. Did you not hear a couple of years ago when Moses told us that you can't have any altars besides the tabernacle? And newsflash, that's not the tabernacle. And C, can you at least be a little less overt about it? You're like 15 miles away from the tabernacle. You're right next door. Can you please at least make it somewhere else? All right, so look, here's the thing. We just got done wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And God showed us pretty clearly that if one person does some boneheaded thing, that we're all punished for it. And so even those of us who didn't do anything start dying because of this one individual's actions. So you guys, therefore, are clearly disobeying God here. And so you're going to have to die. We're going to have to kill you. Sorry. Now, fortunately, the Western delegation actually let the Easterners talk and actually listened to them, too. Because the Easterners were like, no, wait, hold on, you've got that all wrong. You've got that all wrong. God already knows we weren't betraying God, but I guess we'll explain it to you, too. Look, we've been freaking out over here because we could see the writing on the wall. God gave us this piece of land over here on the east side of the Jordan River, this boundary. And so we we don't even get land that's in the holy land that God promised to all of us. And we're terrified because we just know that down the road, your kids are going to say to our kids, "Uh, you aren't part of us. You're not even in Israel. You're not part of us. You can't live over there on the other side of the tracks and claim to be one of us. And look, it's already starting to happen. They're already cutting us off and dividing us into this east and west thing. And so we wanted to make a monument. We wanted to put it on your side and make it super big so that whenever you saw it, you were sure to think about it. And whenever you saw it, you remembered that those folks on that other side of the river, those folks over there, They're indeed one of us. And so you don't understand it right. It's not really an altar. It's not like we're going to go and be doing sacrifices on it and stuff. It's really a monument. It's a reminder that so that we don't eventually get kicked out of the people of God, the chosen people of God. We put up this monument to make sure that both we and you never forget that we belong. Which, side note, did they ever get kicked out of Israel? Yeah, in like 
a hundred or a couple hundred years. They were no longer part of Israel. So they were right. Um, but anyway, Phineas and the tribal leaders agreed and then went back and told all of those folks that were assembled ready to go to war and they called off the civil war. The end. So now this here is a fascinating story. Fascinating story. One thing I'm struck by is this character of Phineas. So he has no issue bloodying up people to enforce what he thinks God's will is. He's done it in the past, ready to do it again. He's brutal. And yet, it is this very character that actually stops and listens. Rather than just attacking them straight off the bat with his whole army, he sends a delegation to talk to them. And then he actually listens to them, and he actually changes his mind. I I don't know, uh, does anyone else do this kind of thing where you have something in your mind, and you're just convinced of it being right and just, right? And then uh, when your mind's in that state, and you get a piece of information that doesn't fit, that's uh, different than what you expected, you're just fixated, and it's really just hard to actually pull back and learn and listen and admit that you're wrong and integrate this new information. It's uh, So often it's just blocking anything out that doesn't fit that preconception that you have. And yet this is precisely what Phineas does. He go and to boot... He goes back before this bloodthirsty crowd of Westerners that he whipped up ready into a frenzy to start this civil war. They are ready to go. And he had to admit to all of them that he was wrong, that they needed to calm down, and that they needed to change actions. His folks are literally at the ready, mustered and ready to go. And... Not only do they not do that, their leader super publicly has to admit that he was wrong, dead wrong, and they need to not do what they were going to. I mean, I don't know if I would have ever been able to do that, personally. I mean, partly because I'm never wrong, but um, other than that. uh, Anyway... However, before we wax too rhapsodic about, about Phineas, let's also remember that he started the whole situation in the first place, right? Because uh, he jumped to conclusions and assumed he knew what was happening and so got all these people whipped up into a frenzy and ready to go to war. So maybe we don't need to give him too much credit. Uh, now, one thing my mind has been processing is how often um, we see the same type of dynamic appear, Uh, in our lives, including our lives as Christians. And uh, two things came to mind uh, in particular when I was thinking about this. So we Protestants have always had this fraught relationship with Catholics and Eastern Orthodox. Uh, It's something about breaking off from them, and it's kind of like a relationship with an ex of you never get over it. And so we just have this weird relationship going on. And so with Catholics... We Protestants so often say, and have often said plenty in the past, you guys are praying to saints. You are idolaters. You can only pray to God. You are praying to saints. What is up with that? And of course they reply, we're not praying to them. We're venerating them. There's a difference. 
And what's the Protestant reply? No, there isn't. You are wrong. You are either lying or deluded. There is not a difference. And right, it's often you are wrong about your own experience. And I'm going to tell you what is right and how the world works. And if you're different than that, then you're wrong and maybe even not a Christian. Or a similar example with Eastern Orthodox. They use icons in worship, these types of uh, stylized paintings, if you will. And Protestants in the past have often said, those are idols. You are using idols in worship. You're not supposed to do that. To which the Orthodox say, no, you don't understand. They're not idols. They're instruments for connecting with the divine in a particular way. It's different. To which Protestants say, no, it's not. You are either lying or deluded. (laughs) You, You are mistaken about what you are actually doing. It is antithetical to what we can be doing as the people of God. And that reaction would have been really easy for Phineas to take, wouldn't it have? Because Right, they the Easterners explain this is really not an altar, it's a monument. And Phineas just says, No, it's not. You guys are liars. You're trying to rationalize it or get out of it or something. You're this is really an altar, and to boot, you're gonna get us all killed by God because of it. So we're gonna kill you so that we don't get killed. That would be super easy for Phineas to do. But that's not how it worked out, did it? Phineas listened. He, like, actually listened and considered what they said, and not only considered what they said, but agreed with it, believed what they said. And all this for a super zealous uh, enforcer, violent enforcer, but he did. And so it seems to me that the challenge that this text today offers is causing us to reflect in what ways do we do this same kind of thing, both in religion and in our normal lives, prejudging, getting up in arms about something, being closed-minded toward others, perhaps opening our mind to what others have to say. In what ways do do we change our mind when we see something that's different than we expected? In what ways are we just closed off to that? In what ways can we do better understanding that others might have different experiences that for us are not only a valid experience, but could be a tool for our growth? So this week, may you consider those questions. May it be so.